Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I have invited everybody to join us for worship at 8, 30, and 11. Uh, but right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic, and so we are not having worship in our building at 8, 30, and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world. And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. Our gospel lesson comes from Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're going to start off this morning with a round of Jeopardy. We're only going to do three questions or three answers it really is. So John, Jonathan, Mark, if you want to play along and see if you know, if you can give the right question, right? That's the way Jeopardy works. He gives you the answer, then you say what is. The category is first lines of famous books and speeches. First lines of famous books and speeches. I'm going to give you the first line. You need to give me the famous book or speech that it comes from. You ready? Here we go. You can call me Ishmael. Jonathan? What is Moby Dick? Bonus if you know the author. Herman Melville. All right. Well done, Jonathan. Here we go. The answer is, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. John Cochler says, Tale of Two Cities. Correct. And the author? Who is Charles Dickens? Dickens. Mark, they are showing you up right now. Here we go. This is the first line from what famous speech or book? For the past two weeks, you have been reading about a bad break I got. You may not know the first line, but you know the second line. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Any idea? A little bit harder. See, it's not a $200 question. That is Lou Gehrig's farewell address. 
All right, here we go. I'm going to step it up a notch. This is the first line of what famous speech or book? We observe today not a victory party, but a celebration of freedom. I got a lot more difficult, didn't I? John Kochler over there is thinking. I'm going to give you the answer because they can't really see you think. Here we go. You don't know that first line, but I guarantee you know this. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Where is that from? JFK's inaugural speech. And the last one. I am happy to join with you today what will go down in the history as the greatest demonstration for freedom of speech of our nation. What famous book or speech is this from? The first line. What is I Have a Dream speech? Well done. You don't know the first line, but you do know I Have a Dream. This is why I bring that up to us this morning. We are now in the Gospel of Mark, and we went way back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark that begins with the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We generally don't know that. Whenever we hear this passage, we treat that as a throwaway line that we generally don't know about, and we focus right in on John the baptizer. We focus right in on his crazy clothes of camel hair that he's wearing, that he eats locusts and honey, that he wears his leather belt, right? We focus in on this image we get of this crazy guy, crazy hair, wandering the wilderness, kind of preaching out to anybody who will listen to him. And then we focus on the words that he says, make straight his paths, for the Lord is coming, right? we focus automatically on what he is saying, what he is doing, and we treat this first line as a throwaway. All we hear is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God, and we think to ourselves, all right, we're about to hear some stories about this guy named Jesus. But what I always say over and over, if you're not sick of it yet, is context, context, context. And if we hear this line, Somehow in the way it might have been heard by those people, we would be offended, we would be shocked, we would be threatened, we would be angered, we might have hope, only to have those hopes dashed by the end of the book of Mark. We would be so caught up in this first line It wouldn't be a throwaway, but it would evoke so many emotions within us. And so that's what I want to talk about, and then even dare to think about how we might rewrite that line today. So it might threaten us, anger us, um, offend us, give us hope only to have those hopes dashed. So let's set this a little bit in context. Mark is the earliest of all the Gospels written, generally around 70 AD is when most scholars think that it was put down, uh, I want to say pen to paper, but it wasn't really pen back then, Uh, ink to papyrus or to scroll. And even when Jesus was being born, there was other things going on too, right? We know these stories are located within the larger picture of the Roman Empire. 
So we want to go back to 9 B.C., even maybe a decade before that. Julius Caesar, if you know your Roman history, which you probably don't know it, no offense, but most of us don't, but you know these names. Julius Caesar, I believe, was killed about 27 B.C., and after he was killed, and I'm not going to do this history justice, I'm so going to simplify it for our purposes. After Julius Caesar is killed, there's a battle between Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and Octavian, on who now is going to read the, lead the Roman Republic, which is about to become the Roman Empire. Who is going to take over and unify and keep this Roman Empire going? And not only are these two kind of getting ready to duke it out, but in all of these other surrounding cities, there's some corruption going on. There's maybe some thought that, hey, we can lead ourselves Caesar, who was really accumulating power, who power is being given to, is no longer. Maybe we can do it ourselves. We don't need to be focused on who their leader is. And so eventually, Mark Antony and Cleopatra, Octavian, go at it. Octavian wins out. Mark Antony and Cleopatra head back to Egypt. And Octavian is now declared or claims the name uh, Caesar Augustus. Now, you probably know that name, Caesar Augustus. That was Octavian. And now, when he becomes Caesar Augustus, we no longer really have the Roman Republic. We now have the Roman Empire. And Caesar Augustus is the one who's going to lead it. Now, I want to read something else for you. This comes now from about 9 B.C., and I want you to hear some of the language used in the description that was found in a government building and was pretty common throughout the day on how it describes Caesar Augustus, and then hear the words about how the author of Mark used to begin Mark's gospel to talk about Jesus. So an inscription from 9 B.C. before Jesus was born and before these stories were known. Since providence, or since God, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit humankind. He might end all war and arrange all things. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of good tidings for the world. Do you hear that? The beginning of good tidings. The beginning of good news. That same word that's used in this inscription is the same word that's used in Mark's gospel, eugelion is the word in the Greek, Greek, which means good news, which is where we get the word gospel from. You could read it, the beginning of gospel for the world. It is thought to come in the person of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is the one who's going to bring peace. Caesar Augustus is the one who's going to end all war. Caesar Augustus is the one who's going to act on the benefit of all humankind. Can you hear when you, these words of Mark are written and are shared? It's not even so much of what they're saying about Jesus, but there's what they're saying about the powers that be of the day. It is not Caesar Augustus who is the beginning of the good news, who is the son of God, right? It's, we talked about that earlier this summer. Julius Caesar was divine Julius, then Augustus became the son of the divine. You can almost hear in this first line, people would be expecting it to read, 
the beginning of the good news of Caesar Augustus, son of God. And what does Mark do? Takes Caesar Augustus out and says, no, it's, he's not the one, and inserts Jesus Christ is the one who's going to do these things. If you are part of the Roman Empire and you have put your trust in Rome, how do you hear these words? Foolish, idiotic, maybe threatened by it, maybe offended by it, right? Maybe there's some hope by it because maybe you're not a big fan of the Roman Empire because of what it's done to you. Do you hear how many emotions it would have evoked in the day? And then if you're a Jewish person of the day, right? Let's just take that beginning part. Jesus Christ, Son of God. Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the one who is to come. The one who follows the line of David to sit on the throne, to lead God's people, to lead themselves, to not be under anybody's rule of thumb. Do not have the boot of any other oppressors against their neck. Jesus is the one they are saying is going to do this. Can you sense the hope that might come with that? But by the end of Mark's gospel, this one who is to come, the Messiah, the anointed, what we use the word Christ for, dies. And Mark's gospel actually ends with this fear, ends with this uncertainty. Can you hear in this one sentence, this one verse that we generally take as a throwaway and just move right into John the Baptist, how much power it packs in this little punch, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. And again, with those Jewish people of the day, who do you think you are to claim to be Son of God? That's idolatry. That's heresy. That could get you killed. This one little verse packs so much in it by using the language and the hopes of the people of the day. So my question to us this morning is, how could we rewrite the beginning of Mark's verse so it wouldn't be a throwaway line to us, but instead it would instill in us offense, hope, anger, we'd be threatened by it, we wouldn't just think, okay, let's get to the rest of the story. We would ask ourselves, what are the powers that be in this world that we need to be done away with? Both good, that we perceive as good, and we perceive as bad. Because that's the thing. It's easy to name those negative things, right? Addiction has too strong a power in my life, and God, I need you to conquer it so I can live free. The real hard part is to name those things that we cling to, that we grasp to, that we justify, that we like, but really aren't as good as we think they are. Because that is really what is going to offend and threaten us, is to name those things that we want again to justify that need to be done away with. What is that in your life? What is that in the world? 
that we cling to, that we grasp to, that really is oppressing us and that we need to be done away with. Because can you imagine if we just let go of it? It would be scary because we wouldn't know how to function at first. And so we would be defensive about it and we would fight against it. But if we can move through that, can you imagine the freedom we might feel? If we could actually be bold enough to name those things that we say are good but in reality aren't, right? This always goes back to theology of glory, theology of the cross. Theology of glory calls an evil thing good and a good thing evil. A theologian of the cross calls a thing what it is. Can we name those things that we say are good that are really unhealthy for us? This is what God has come to do away with. Whether it happens individually in our lives or whether it happens communally around the world. That is what God comes to name. That is what Jesus comes and says he is Lord over. That is what comes, that is what is to come to free us from. All of that is packed in this first verse, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. That in Christ a new beginning has occurred. And at some point in the future, it will come to fruition. We are freed. And full freedom will still come. May you have the courage to name those things you cling to and grasp to that you justify but need to be freed from. And may you experience the love and the peace that comes when you do it. Amen.